0: And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. I want the Lord to have his way, and I want to tag on to what Brother Osborne said just a moment ago. The Lord is not finished. Amen. The Lord is not finished. And so I am thankful, very honored, and humbled to have with us our guest. He is a long, long time friend. Not a stranger to our family, certainly not a stranger to our HAC family. And so I'm asking Brother Stacy Thomas to come and let's receive him in the name of the Lord. Amen.
1: Come on, would you offer that to the Lord this morning with the sincerity of your spirit? Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, for your greatness, oh God. Thank you, Savior. Thank you, Savior. You can be seated for a moment. God bless all of you. Good to see you in the house of the Lord. Amen. You are in a good place today. Amen. What a rich spirit of God that we felt already. Uh, I, I just, I just felt like the resurrection was about to happen. It was just very intense, and it's all. I feel in my spirit is almost though the Holy Ghost is just hovering here, waiting for that to happen again. And so be mindful of that throughout this service. Amen. I am certainly deeply indebted to this church family and your pastor. I feel impressed to say something. And uh, the last probably half an hour or so has really been heavy on my heart. And I want to say, I won't give just a second or two, if you if you would uh, give me that. I, I want to say how much I appreciate you as a church family, and in particular your pastor uh, and his family. About 11 years ago, Uh, the Lord had given to us a vision for a city and we went there and uh, I I learned during that time that the will of God doesn't always take a man 40 years into his future. Um, Sometimes it's just for that season of his life and so uh, about 11 months into that uh, work there. We were baptizing people and winning people to God and Bible studies and praying them through. And people had come out of other denominations, other persuasions, and had, had, had begun to see truth and feel the excitement of being born of the Spirit of God filled with the Holy Ghost. We were just excited about everything. And then the spirit of gossip moved in. A very powerful spirit of gossip moved into the church. Uh, really, really through a very unexpected source. And, uh, I, I felt like I was adrift at sea. And, and no matter how much we tried to, uh, right the ship from listing to one side or another and, and kind of corral things back in, it just began to have havoc among people's lives and they believed things that weren't true. And, uh, then, then, and I, I know, I know I'm just, I'm spending a minute or two, but nonetheless, uh, there, there was a hundred people there and, and then in one fell swoop, we went to six people. It was a very attacking spirit on the church. We watched people begin to be wounded, people go through divorces, new converts that didn't understand, and uh, no matter how much we pleaded and begged, it just seemed like the enemy was taking hold. And over the next four years or so, we endeavored to bring all that back together and then we felt like it was transitioning and a man had uh that that began to come into the life of the church and into my life in particular i felt so strongly that that he was connecting and and uh, the holy ghost just w- very seamlessly began to transition the pastoralship there and so for a year or so we my wife and i were kind of adrift and we didn't know what to do and i'd only preached a couple of times during that year and uh, there were two men in my life that began to reach out to me. And one man very prophetically came to me in a service that uh, I just stood over to the side and been very beaten. I'm just being very transparent with you. Is that okay? And uh, he, he told me this. He said, the Holy Ghost said for me to tell you that you need to get your horn and fill it back up with oil. Because I've got something for you to do. The second man in my life was your Pastor who invited me to a camp meeting here that we just enjoyed another annual meeting together with. It saved our life. It saved my ministry. And uh, we, we weren't planning on divorcing, but we don't know where that trial would have taken us. So it very possibly could have saved our marriage. And uh, God began to put us back together. Your pastor opened a pulpit to me. I was asked a few months ago what was the number one thing you could do to... Uh, to help wounded preachers i said you need to remind that preacher that he's still a preacher and your pastor done that for me i am forever indebted to brother boyd in my life thank god thank god there's men there that the holy ghost placed there very strategically uh the lord woke me up in the night and uh began to move some things in my heart and this this really is not the compilation of what i'm going to preach today but i just feel uh just a sense of necessity to share this with you it was the 73rd chapter of the psalm in the book of psalms and where david said that i was envious at the prosperity of the wicked now that might not be what would trip you up but in david's time in life that happened to be the stumbling block for him It was the third verse of that 73rd Psalm. And later on in the 17th verse, after beginning to to give a litany of all the things that he saw and was confused about, he said, but when I went into the house of the Lord, then understood I therein. So as God brought him into this place, he began to grant understanding to him. And during the night, just laying there in the bed and staring at uh, mostly darkness, uh, I, God began to put a few things in my mind before I drifted back to sleep and instantly this morning it came back to me so heavily that this is the place where we will come you and I this is the place the house of the Lord that you and I will come to gain our understanding this is the classroom of life right here That God is not some proctor of the 8th grade science class standing over your shoulder helping you with the questions. He is the one that abides on the inside of you and that will unction you to do what you need to do in this life. This is the university of higher understanding. You have come to the place, the college of higher spiritual learning. You are where you need to be today. That when life confuses you, and that situations confound you. Don't stay away from this place. Don't stay away from this house. You are exactly where God wants you to be today. Hallelujah. This is where we will win our survival. This is where we will come through every trial, is in the house of the Lord. Amen. I want to encourage all of you to hang on to the house of God. Cherish it, love it, obey it honor it esteem it reverence it venerate it hold it close to you because this is the place where you would get your survival in life right here amen I'm glad to see all of you in God's house Uh, there are faces and people that I've I've looked out and expected to see I don't see maybe they're in other places of ministry I don't know but uh, I'd like to see them in this place today You know them better than I do, and for whatever reason, hold them up in your prayer that God will bring them back to this house. Whether it's sickness, God grant them healing. Whether they're away in confusion, God grant them understanding to be in this place right here. Amen. Would you stand with me? I want to read to you a passage of scripture from the book of Daniel, the very first chapter, chapter number one, the very first verse, Uh, just a passage of scripture, then you can be seated. And uh, I, I'm not a long-winded preacher. You all know me by now, so uh, if you've come wanting that, I'm uh, sorry to disappoint you. So uh, I'm, I'm going to do the best I can in a short amount of time. In the book of Daniel chapter 1, verse number 1, the Bible said, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with part of the vessels of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God. He carried some things out of the house of God to the house of his God, a pagan, idol place. The Bible said that he brought the vessels into the treasure of his God, a little g into the place of a, of a false god, which, in fact, the scripture said is no god at all. Could we pray today, today one more time before you seat seated and ask the Holy Ghost to give us guidance by his word. Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to be in your place, to stand in this pulpit to do this sacred task of declaring your word. I pray, Lord, that you would open our understanding and our hearts and let this word be a guide to our feet. And we'll be careful to praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. And everyone said amen. Amen. You can be seated. God bless you very much. In this passage of scripture here, I know a lot of times the Bible uh, begins to give uh, somewhat a summary of what happens, and then it tells us what happens. But if we're not careful, this right here will just be a verse that we read over. But actually... Uh, it, it holds a volume of content here because we understand that the king of Judah, the Bible said, was given into the hand of the king of Babylon. It was in in the book of Second Kings, it recorded here, this very story. Uh, it takes place there and gives us more detail about it. But it was in the fifth month, the seventh day of the month, in the 19th year of the king of Nebuchadnezzar, when he went to Jerusalem. And his servant, the Bible said the servant of Nebuchadnezzar, burnt the house of the Lord. They burnt the house of God. And Nebuchadnezzar took back the vessels that Solomon had made in the house of the Lord, those sacred vessels that were used for the atoning of the sins of the children of Israel to make offering unto God, to offer incense unto the Lord. The altar, the uh, brazen altar, the laver, the candlestick, uh the the snuffers, all of those vessels of instrument that was in the house of God, Nebuchadnezzar took them back and put them in the house of his God. So now Nebuchadnezzar is standing there, perhaps maybe even seated on the back of his horse, uh, watching the house of the lord god of the children of israel burned to ashes uh and in his saddlebags perhaps uh, i'm just i'm just summarizing a little bit maybe even uh in my own estimation guessing what it might be but the vessels that were so holy were now there on in a bag on on the back of nebuchadnezzar's horse. With the intentions of the king of Babylon taking them back to his uh, God's house and putting them there. In verse number one, in this very same book, in chapter five of uh, the book of Daniel, verse one, the Bible said, Belshazzar the king, we have stepped into a new generation now. Belshazzar the king made a great feast to the thousand of his lords, and they drank wine before the thousands. And Belshazzar, whilst he tasted the wine, he commanded to bring the golden and silver vessels which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken out of the temple which was in Jerusalem, that the king and his princes, his wives, his concubines might drink therein. And they brought the golden vessels that were taken out of the temple of the house of God, which was at Jerusalem. And the king and his princes, his wives, his concubines drank in them. They drank wine, praise the gods of gold and silver, brass, of iron, wood, and stone. So now we have stepped into a new generation that Belshazzar now is commanding to bring these vessels from the house of the Lord that at some point in the history of his daddy, had brought back from the temple of God this the sanctuary of God the house of God that place that was representative and iconic of everything that had to do with the presence and glory of God now nebuchadnezzar had burned it had gone down in the history books and now here in a brand new generation belshazzar remembers what daddy brought back to the house of their false gods I want to use for for subject today one word, and uh, you folks are very familiar with this one word, and that word is souvenirs. Souvenirs. We are living, you and I, right now. We are in the epicenter of souvenirs. We we've stopped in in our traveling, and uh, it just everywhere we got gas, went and got a drink. Uh, there there were shelves that were dedicated to souvenirs there were little cups with Florida the sunshine State. there were alligator heads alligator heads who would an alligator head my I I watched those and I I, I just stand there in amazement I think who would buy that who would spend 130 you folks probably I don't know if you got one but I'm not picking on you but but I could see me I could see brother boy I could see me with an alligator head standing at the counter and my wife would say what you gonna do with that where where are you planning to put that? <laughs> that ain't going in my house. I am wondering how guys sneak out of the convenience store and say, "Look, honey, we souvenirs." I mean, mom mom had my mom had souvenirs. As a child, we grew up uh uh taking a, an overnight vacation, an extended vacation was overnight and a Saturday. It was Friday night and, and driving home Sunday, and 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 mom would always want to bring something back. She'd bring almost a spoon from uh, the Ozarks, or a little uh, teacup from Biloxi, or we were always we'd have something to bring back. And mom was kind of she was kind of enamored by souvenirs. Everybody wants to take something home, and eventually you run out of room for those things. You, you take down all the encyclopedias and all the dictionaries and all those books that. We wonder if anybody ever read coming up. Dad felt like we needed a set of encyclopedias, and so we had one. Those thing, I believe if we could find them now and open them, they would still kind of crack like a new book. And I don't know if we ever used them, but we had to make room for souvenirs. Mom was always enamored by that. People, people love that stuff. People love that stuff. There's a market for that because everybody wants to take something back from where they, were, where they visited. Matter of fact, the very definition definition of souvenir is very simple. It's just something that is kept as a reminder of a place that one has visited. That's all it is. Not a big deal, is it? It doesn't have to cost thousands of dollars. It doesn't even have to cost $138 like an alligator head. It can just cost a dollar or two. But it's just a little something to remind us of somewhere that we have visited. Some place we have visited. Visted Nebuchadnezzar felt like that. If I'm going to go to Jerusalem and burn it down, and I I'm going to burn the house of uh, of the God of Israel, then I want to bring something back from there. I don't want it all to go to ashes. Matter of fact, ironically enough, it just comes to my one one of the brothers here mentioned to me this morning about uh, his garage burning. Hold your hand up. There you go. Uh, and, and his tools burning. And I, I've had other friends tell me about uh, those ho- horrific experiences of driving up to their house after having been away and it, and it burned down. And, uh, the nightmarish event in that in that person that family 's life that all of their memories their clothes, nothing they had but their shoes they were wearing clothes they had on that 's all they had that 's all they salvaged from that uh, here recently, the fires out west had just ravished the, the the part of the western country, and people lost everything they were barely able to get out with their own life, but they did. At some point, at some point, Nebuchadnezzar felt like it'd be a really neat thing that if I go to Jerusalem and overtake it and, uh, I'm gonna burn down the city and in the burning of it, I'm gonna burn what was most sacred to the people of God. And in that burning, he felt also it was, it would be a cool thing that if I, if I could just bring something back from there. And so all of the vessels of gold and silver, and all the things that the children of Israel had placed on such high esteem, and now were in the saddlebags of Nebuchadnezzar's grand horse, and taking them back to Babylon to put them in a place. And then in Babylon, I'm not gonna I'm gonna spend a lot of time with Nebuchadnezzar. As a matter of fact, I'm gonna fast forward through all of that. And we know the story of how he was lifted up with pride and said, "This is Babylon that I built." And God humbled him and put him in the pasture for seven years. But now we've got a brand new generation. We've got Belshazzar that has come up and now he's assumed the throne and, and uh, having a party with all of his concubines and wives and princes and lords that was under and subservient to him. Now he has this brilliant idea during his intoxicated moment. He said, I, I know what I'll do. I'll I'll, I'll look for daddy's souvenirs and I'm going to bring out of that closet wherever dad put them, my servants will find them, and we're going to bring them out to the party, and we're going to fill them up with wine, and, and uh, what, what, what a tremendous blasphemous thing that Belshazzar had done. It wasn't, it wasn't bad enough for what his dad done, but it seems like that the generation sub, uh, subsequent to him would, would now do something that was elevated in blasphemy. Now, he would take this this dastardly deed to a new level and now Belshazzar is is drinking wine from what at one time had held the blood possibly of a bullock or goat or lamb that at one point that the priest would hold that and would apply the blood in its appropriate places to make atonement not only for himself but for the sins of the people but now it held wine, the fermented beverage of the grape and now they would drink and become even more intoxicated with it and would do much despite and frustrate the grace of God. So now we find a generation now following after Nebuchadnezzar that has just exacerbated the whole problem of blasphemy and God visits him just like he visited his dad. May I give to us a very clear warning this morning that if we have come to this house looking for nothing more than a reminder of a place that we visited on Christmas or Easter or Mother's Day, then we have grossly missed what God is wanting to do for our life for our marriage, for our children's sake. My God, we can't come here and expect just to take home a little something to remind us that we visited there We've been there before. I've heard this story play out more than once. I've heard pastors that don't even know each other tell me this story. They would be praying for someone at the hospital or perhaps see someone uptown and they would ask them, inviting them to church, they'd say, well, I already go to that church. The pastor wouldn't even know it. And it's not because there was 9,000 people in the congregation. It's just that they had been so long in their visit there that the pastor couldn't even recall that that individual had visited his congregation. Uh, I believe that the house of God should be a place that we come to more often than that. That what we have felt around this altar this morning is something that we should hunger for and thirst for and be in God's house seeking after. It's not a hit and miss experience that we have with God. That prayer life is not something that we pick up just at the time of affliction or conflict in our spirit. That our prayer life and our com- commitment to God and our worship and our praise, it's not something that we do just at the time of blessing in our life. It's something that we do every day. And may I say the old adage, on the mountaintop or in the valley, in the good times or the bad I have determined to seek the face of the Lord I don't just want to summon out of the closet of a generation of yesteryear's place of souvenirs and and say give me a little something that dad had or give me the same uh, casual relationship that mom had with the house of the Lord no sir I want something that will help my house I need something that would give mainstay to my spirit in the house of the Lord a steadfastness in my heart that God, you are first. And it is not merely, Pastor, a story that we have heard of yesteryear, but it is something very real to me that my children will not only hear about, but they will see that is lived out in the lives of mom and dad. A souvenir. Something that is brought back, a casual experience in the house of the Lord. A visit to Jerusalem. It is the wonder that the psalmist tells us that if you will pray for the peace of Jerusalem they that love her shall prosper. It is no coincidence that the psalmist would say that if I forget Jerusalem as my chief joy let my right hand forget her cunning and let my tongue cleave to the roof of my mouth. That Jerusalem was the place that God said that I will visit with my children. That I will put my name there and my glory will be manifested there. And may I tell us this morning that God has birthed into this new Jerusalem by His Spirit a church that is innumerable and is not merely confined to the geographical perimeters of a city somewhere, but now it is global. Now it is universal. Now it covers and spans the seven seas. It is something called the blood-bought church of God it is the redeemed of the Lord it is a mass group of people that have not been satisfied with a souvenir of yesteryear's generation it is an experience that is lived out every day of their life If God blesses me financially, I praise him. If he withholds from me and I have a season of want, I praise him. I will serve him for whatever life throws at me. I have chosen to be in his house and to take home more than a mere souvenir from the house of the Lord. Let me fast forward, if I may, for those that might be thinking that this is a concept that is only found in the Old Testament. It is also found in the book of Mark. In the 15th chapter of Mark's gospel, the Bible says, verse 21, they compel one Simon, a Cyrenian, who passed by and coming out of the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to bear his cross. They bring him unto a place. They bring Jesus unto a place called Golgotha, which is being interpreted the place of a skull." and they give him to drink wine mingled with myrrh, but he received it not. And when they had crucified him, they parted his garments, casting lots upon them what every man should take. There at Calvary, I, I want this to be very real to us because now we're not just in Old Testament stuff, we're in New Testament stuff, And right there at Calvary, one gospel writer said there were four soldiers. And there in the shadow of Calvary's cross, they are now gambling for the very clothes that he wore having nothing in this life, yet possessing everything. They gambled for the clothes that your Messiah, that your Christ, that your Redeemer would wear when he was robed in humanity. The Bible tells us that the garment of Christ was woven from the top throughout, that it didn't have seams like this coat would have seams, but it was woven, stitched, From the top throughout, you ladies who are are interested in so understanding what that's talking about, it's something more or less not crocheted, but woven. It's of the same pattern. It's not that you make a sleeve here and make the left sleeve and then just sew it all together. It was woven from the top throughout, indicating that it was the Spirit that would enshroud the church. It was the Spirit that protected the redeemed. And now here the world is bartering, making wagers and gambling for the very clothes that Christ would wear. And now I wonder, my, my imagination kind of got away away with me that now I wonder what would happen, what would happen that if one soldier would gamble for the left sleeve, and so they tore the left sleeve off, the other soldier would gamble so much money for the right sleeve, maybe for the sandals that he would wear, maybe for the main torso area of the robe that he wore, that we would gamble for certain parts of the Spirit of God. That I only want the healing part of Christ. And I only want the blessing part of Christ. And I only want the provision, but I don't want the whole thing. And so how would that story go? That when the soldier made it home after another day at the office of crucifying another victim. And now coming through the door and now offering to his wife something that he would hang on the wall. I want you to look here honey what i won today at Golgotha I don't believe it was a new thing of gambling for the victim's garments I don't think it's something that they'd just done on the body of Christ but it was something that was very common and very usual to happen on Golgotha's hill that the soldiers would barter for the garments of their victim and they'd done that for Christ they, they bartered for a piece of his garment and now the soldier would come home and say For only two pence I won the right sleeve of that man that everybody in town thought was the Messiah. For only four pence I made a wager and would win the left sleeve of what everybody would deem the long promised Messiah to the people of Abraham. I want you to look here honey what I got. My friend if you think the the very concept of souvenirs was something exclusive to Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar and Babylon of the Old Testament. It's very real to us at Calvary that too many would come to the cross and say I only want part of what he has but I don't want all of him. Hallelujah. I want us to know today that we cannot come home satisfied with a sandal or satisfied with a sleeve satisfied with a portion of Christ. If I come home from Calvary, I've got to present to my family. I want you to see what I come home with. Or I would probably guess or maybe even speculate that the wife would say, Well, honey, I think you should have come home with something more than that. Because when I read about atonement, I read about the blood. Maybe you should have come home with something more than a sleeve. Oh God, let me say this in the boldness of the Holy Ghost right now. Our wives and our children, dads are expecting for us to take home from this house today more than just a part of him. More than just a portion of him. More than just a little something to remind us that hey, I've been to church today on the shelf of souvenirs somewhere because I took home a blessing today aren't you satisfied honey I stood around the front lifted my hands but what about all of your heart what about all of your spirit what about the lifestyle you'll have tomorrow what about next Saturday evening what about next Friday night Oh, but honey, I, I visited church today. I ironed a shirt. I put off the fishing trip that I could have had. I put off the hunting trip I could have done. I put off another day on the golf course with my buds, and I went to church with you, honey. If that be the case for us today, then we are only gambling on a piece of Christ and not everything that God wants us to have. I don't know your hobby, so I don't think I'm picking on you in particular. I don't know if you're hunting fish or detest it. I don't know if you like golf or hate golf. It doesn't really matter to me. It's irrelevant to me. But everybody likes to do something. I don't care if it's just stay home and do nothing. That's something. Something is what we should do is convening and congregating with God's people. We are God's redeemed. How can I not be a part of what was going on here today? How can I not desire baptized with the Holy Ghost, the spirit that was moving here this morning? Sing again the songs of Zion and let me worship my Redeemer. Usher me again into the presence of God. Take me back to the place where I felt his anointing again because that's all it that matters to me. Because I told it's all that matters to me is being back in his house, is being back at his altar, to being back with his people, to feeling his spirit again and hearing that word again. It's all that matters to me. The Gospel writer tells us, two gospel writers tell us about a man named Joseph of Arimathea Joseph, the Bible said, and nothing in the Bible is accident. Coincident or incident? Everything there is on purpose. So when the Bible said that Joseph was of Arimathea and he was a rich man, both gospel writers say he was a rich man. A rich man. Now that doesn't sound like anything important. And, and, and very likely I would be very comfortable saying all of us in here are very wealthy today. We're not suffering from starvation. You didn't sleep under a tree last night. You're here today. Most likely all of you drove here with probably air conditioning. My wife's grandpa would tell the story of how they would hitch a little wagon behind the tractor. And on the way to church, seven miles, they would pick up everybody that wanted to go. That's not an unusual story even for here. During the winter, when it was cold and rainy, he would build some makeshift kind of thing, this makeshift canopy, if you will, out of some old tarp, just to protect him from the elements. They'd take water and in a fruit jar of the lid on it. They'd worship God in the sweat, probably under a brush arbor. I mean, those are stories, like, just like you're telling Th- those are stories that stick with me. That's where my wife came from. So, when I say all of us are rich today, it's not because we got four or five million dollars in the bank necessarily, but we are rich today because of where we are. You're in God's house, and you're in God's presence. Joseph of Arimathea was a rich man by the definition of this world, as flawed as it is. He was a rich man by the definition of this world. Setting somewhere right here this morning, early just at the break of day, right? The Holy Ghost gave me this. That Joseph, although he was a wealthy man, The Bible said he came to Pilate and he begged for the body of Jesus. Would you please give me that body? He begged for the body of Christ. Wealthy people don't beg. They're not accustomed to begging for what they want. Brother Everett, I would have assumed that the rich man would have come to Pilate, a prestigious man in the community with his back straight, his chest out, and his chin high, and would have said, give me a price and I'll pay for what I want. No, sir. Brother Boyd, he begged for the body of his Redeemer. Don't give me a souvenir. Give me Christ. Don't give me a piece of the church. Don't give me a shower when I'm married if I don't want Christ. I'm not just gonna call you when I get cancer. I need him all the time. Otherwise, I've only asked for a souvenir. Just let me take something to remind me I've been there. Let me take an anointed cloth. Let me take the bulletin. Give me a little something from the pastor's office. And I'll be satisfied, no sir. No, sir. I'm begging for his body. Pilate, I can buy all the souvenirs I want, but I'll beg you for him. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. This is a flawed definition of what Christianity is across our country today. That I'm satisfied with the peace of the church if I can just feel a little bit of his anointing every once in a while. It's enough. Because the propagator of their doctrine told me it was sufficient. But my spirit is screaming to me, there's still something else I need. Oh God. John said, and we know that whatsoever we ask we shall receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things which are pleasing unto him. The Bible has a plethora of examples on why I can't be satisfied with just a portion of Christ. But there lies it in a nutshell because we keep his commandments and we do those things which are pleasing in his sight. Hallelujah! Come on, I want you to come up back up here with me. Come back up here with me, Pastor. I believe I've worshipped today with some Josephs who've come back to Calvary, while the soldiers are gambling for a piece of his garment. There's a wealthy man that could buy them out ten times over, who is now begging for all of him. Because now he has devalued everything of material. As Paul said, I've counted it all down that I may win Christ. Oh God. Oh God. Don't let me take home a souvenir today. My children need more than a souvenir. They need to come to Calvary for themselves. They need to come to Calvary for themselves. Hallelujah. But I want them to see the steps of their parents leading them to that place. Leading them to that place. holy God holy God come on saints would you lift your hands come on one more time Joseph would you beg for him I know it's free for the asking but the Bible said a broken and contrite spirit God will not despise God I implore you I plead with you. I'll beg if I need to beg, oh God. But I need all of you. (laughs) Hallelujah. All over the house, lift your hands. Lift your hands. Lift your hands. Would you do it? Would you lift your hands? In submission to Him and total surrender to Him, would you lift your hands? Holy God, I need you today, Lord.
0: This message has been brought to you today by the Media Ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic.